Nothing but nylon, the nylon calculus podcast. Today we have on Andrew Johnson and Jacob Goldstein. Uh, welcome, guys. Hey, hello. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, you know the the season is around the corner. Uh, it's much closer than I think I even realized uh, up until like a couple of days ago. It was pretty weird. I was like, oh, man, the season starts in less than a month. It kind of snuck up on me. I don't know if you guys had that experience. but Well, I suppose as a Bulls fan, you probably were repressing that. (laughs) I'm no longer a Bulls fan. They're dead to me. I will will never again invest in them. That that is my my stance on on the Bulls. Um, But the... uh, but yes, probably probably uh, because they killed my fandom this summer. I uh, I have been a little bit less uh, attentive to the start of the season. <laughs> uh, on the plus side, Jimmy Butler has been freed from their incompetence, so so that's that's nice. Um, yep. Anyway, so we'll be talking now today about um, the our you guys' uh, season projection uh, win totals, um, which is always a fun discussion. Uh, to always tends to drive a lot of conversation. I think uh, both, um, you know, within our email threads and then also on uh, social media, people react to uh, react pretty strongly to some things if they don't <laughs> like like what the numbers uh, say. So that that's always fun when uh, people just call you a dummy uh, for for what your projection system says, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw in the uh, the mentions to uh, Andrew to your article, people were. Uh, I guess we we can we can uh, get into that a little bit. Uh, people sure. were uh, were pretty unhappy with your projection for uh, Oklahoma City because I think uh, you had them projected to win forty, basically five. Four, I think yeah, forty five and a half, basically forty six ish games. Uh, and they won 47 last year. They added Paul George and Carmelo, and so everybody thinks that that's that's uh, you know not a good projection. So so what goes into that? Why why is their projection worse this year? Explain it for people. Uh, yeah. So um, I think my the the player tracking plus minus is probably one of the systems that's uh, the lowest on um, uh, what Westbrook did last year. You know, certainly lower than say a box plus minus um and and um you know they they lost some well you know i'm not not sure exactly when you compared to to last year what you know if you went through the whole thing but there's you know a lot of players that aren't really that good um after their starting five so um that that hurts them in the regular season you know depth kind of matters and i feel like when Fans sort of project the team. They said, "Oh, this is their starting five, and they almost do it more like a playoff series." But over the course of eighty-two games, that's not really, you know, how things uh, work out. So, uh, I still think, 
you know, obviously they, they can get around some of that with, with staggering uh, minutes with uh, Westbrook and uh, Paul George and uh, Carmelo. Um, but, you know, there, there's still, uh, I think, kind of a lot of holes on, on that roster. And the other thing is, is my projection system is not particularly high on, on Carmelo, to be, to be honest. So he didn't really uh, move the needle at all. In fact, um, you know, when we put him in, I sort of slotted him in as power forward, but that uh, took minutes away from Patrick Patterson, who, well, not necessarily a more talented player, has done more to contribute to winning basketball in the last two years than, than Carmelo has. Yeah, I think um, that's uh, something that's that's hard for people to to separate out. A lot of the time is the the difference between being an impactful player and and being a more talented player. Like, I think everybody would would say that Carmelo is probably more more talented, especially as a, a, an offensive player, than Patrick Patterson. Sure. Uh, but the, the, Patrick Patterson's much easier to fit within a in a role, particularly in sort of the modern NBA. He defends fairly well he's he kind of switchy a little bit as a power forward you can um put him in a lot of different kinds of lineups uh and he can shoot uh decently for his position and um you know I, he, he's interesting to watch too though because i you know that the plus minus metrics have liked him essentially since he went to Toronto and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, mm-hmm. uh, the, the bench plus Kyle Lowry lineup, uh, for the Raptors that was like kind of their lifeblood and he was a part of that lineup. So it'll be interesting to see him, um, away from Kyle Lowry and kind of away from that lineup yeah. and see if the, if that stuff sustains. Right. Um, and the other thing on, on Carmelo is, you know, I still have him is, uh, positive on offense, but in the last, you know, last two years, um, as part of that Knicks team, his, his defense is, is rating, uh, very badly. And, you know, one thing we'll find out this year is how much of that was the Knicks and how much of that was, was him. Um, you know, so, uh, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. That's so, that's a really fun thing. I think about, uh, about that trade is, um, I think Tom Ziller uh, for SB Nation had a piece about about Carmelo uh, finally getting kind of the team best suited for what his skill set actually is, which is to like uh, be a, a very dangerous catch and shoot player uh, and, and not necessarily to be the hub of your offense. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think you know the the idea, this you know mythical idea of uh, Olympic Mello has been uh, touted for a long time. And it's like, oh, if you just get him, you know, alongside some other stars, he'll be that you know, catch and shoot guy that you saw in the in the Olympics. And I think that might be a little bit overstated. I think Jacob, you had tweeted out some some statistics about Mello's uh, actual like catch and shoot three point proficiency, and he was he was good, but not like maybe as insanely mm-hmm. elite at that as other people had, or at least as the reputation would suggest, but it's certainly a more efficient shot for him than, you know, uh, pulling up for three off the dribble or, you know, doing his like five jab steps from mid range and then shooting a fade away. Um, and he's definitely going to, you would think that his, uh, shot distribution would, would shift in that direction at the very least. Yeah. Uh, over the last three years, he shot, just under 40% on catch and shoot threes, which is, it's good. It's in the uh, 66th percentile, but it's, it's a far cry from the, this mythical 
Olympic mellow that everyone is, is foreseeing um, in in Oklahoma City. Yeah, but I mean, if you're if you're swapping out like um, you know a few of those mid range uh, isolation jumpers for forty percent three point shooter shots out off the uh, off the catch, you know that could help boost his uh, his offensive efficiency some, and you know that that'll be that'll be an interesting thing to see sort of how that shakes out, and um, I, I think it'll be fun to, to kind of see Mello in a different context and actually see him. Uh, play with some you know some actual legitimate stars i think uh you know porzingis is a young player and not really a shot creator so uh Mello hasn't really had like a star uh offensive you know force next to him in in quite a long time so uh if really ever uh, i'm trying to think of who's been like the... it wasn't raymond felton wasn't raymond felton in new york <laughs> Yes, yeah. Raymond, Raymond Felton, okay. uh, uh, very old Jason Kidd. Um, yeah, there, there was. He's he's had some some pretty like I don't know uh, mediocre I would say uh, shot creators next to him. All, Jason Kidd, yeah. not being uh, a bad shot creator, but just you know he wasn't necessarily the offensive threat, and he was kind of you know obviously old at, at that point. But yeah, that that'll be interesting. So Jacob, for and getting back to Oklahoma City, just because you guys had a pretty big discrepancy here, and I think Jacob, your projection system, I think was a little bit more in line with sort of what seems to be the conventional wisdom about them. Uh, what did the what did your system sort of identify as uh, as boosting them up? My my system has them around fifty three, fifty four ish wins, which. I think it, it sees Westbrook not having to do as much and, and his efficiency going up and really having teammates who we actually trust in again, um, that that really benefiting his efficiency and then having a, a really good... The thing people don't remember about Paul George sometimes is he's a really good shooter. He's He's a very good scorer, very good defender too, but... Above all else, he's a really good shooter. So I think him as the second fill of Westbrook just fits really nicely. Um, that being said, they 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 really don't have much bench. So my system sees them as having six good players: um, Westbrook, PG, Adams, Carmelo is borderline-ish, um, <laughs> Robertson, and Patterson. And outside of that, there's really no one. So if this team sees any injuries, I could I could see them really going downhill quickly, especially to PG or Westbrook. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting point too because it gets to uh, and Andrew. I think you hit on this in, in your piece, kind of detailing uh, how you arrived at your projections is the importance of getting the minutes projections correct if you're if you're <laughs> gonna uh, you know do this kind of kind of thing. I guess I'm interested in, in hearing how how both of you um go about handling the, the projecting the minutes. I know there's a little bit of art and a little bit of science to it as somebody that's, you know, tried to do these things yeah. um in, in the past, but I, I you know, I don't I'm I guess I'm just curious uh to what degree you guys have a system versus, you know, your eyeball on it or both. So I uh so you know, I start off uh terms of projecting games uh where you take how many games they they did last year and it's like base of 76 games and then for every game they lost 
last year, it's like one sixth or every six games they lost last year, you figure they're going to lose one this year. And then there's um, an age curve on terms of on, on minutes played. And that just kind of starts you off with your base minutes. But those don't usually, you know, especially for teams that are in every team, basically these days has a lot of roster changes. So those don't add up to the right amount of minutes. Um, so then I go through a, a system of uh, a depth chart kind of system where you take the guy who has the most minutes is projected out at that position, is projected out as the starter, and then they fill in uh, the minutes with the guys who are, are left. And that seems to work pretty well. But then that's kind of the baseline. And then I go back and make some adjustments based on, you know, if I know somebody's coming into the season, like uh, Markeith Morris is coming into the season injured. So, so you know, he's going to miss a month right off the bat. So you kind of adjust his minutes down and and uh and things like that so you know it's definitely uh, um a mixture of uh a science and, and and art um and in the past i found that probably about 10 to 15 percent of the air just comes from uh getting the minutes wrong and the interesting thing is it actually is maybe less than you would think because sometimes you get guys who the projection system just thought was going to be terrible and they play a bunch of minutes. Um, but the reason they're playing more minutes is because, uh, you know, he's having a great year and he's outperforming which projection. So it's really actually ends up not killing them as much as you would have thought going into the season. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me to some, to some extent. It's like, uh, almost like a mean, mean regression to, <laughs> to the, in the, um, in the actual performance in the sense that like you're if if you're off on the minutes because you think that the guy is going to be terrible but he's actually good well then he's performing more like one of the guys that you thought was going to be in that position from a plus minus perspective yeah and, and you 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 know most of the coaches are rational right and so you know they if they're they're playing a guy more it's it's probably because he's you know he's doing at least okay um so so yeah, so that's how I do that part of it. Yeah, I think that that's one of those things that's borne out by the a lot of the statistical plus minus models. You know, when you run them against uh, things like uh, RAPM, you know, one of the better explanatory there variables is typically minutes played, and uh, mm-hmm. and then like even if you look at like uh, percentage of games started, that usually has some additional uh, you know information available to it. Uh, so, so yeah, coaches generally do a, do a pretty good job despite, uh, how much, uh, they get ripped on <laughs> yeah. online. Um, Jacob, uh, d- is your, is your system similar for projecting minutes or do you, do you have, uh, w- do you have a system that tends to be more optimistic, uh, as far as injuries go, or is do you, have, uh, I, I guess just, um, w- what's your process, uh, like? Mine's pretty similar. So my entire projection system is based off of finding similar players to whatever guy I'm trying to project. So it looks at how similar players, um, how many games they played, how that changed for them, how a normal guy who's played this number of minutes in the league, how, how the number of games they play the next season changes. And it is relatively conservative so it, the most i let the system give everyone anyone is 76 
most healthy star players who are young get a games projection of uh, 72 or so. And then the way it projects minutes is pretty similarly. It just looks at how other guys changed, um, how the most comparable players to the guy I'm trying to project changed. And then it also accounts for how good the player is going to be. So if the player played a ton of minutes, this is, this is a problem I run into a bit with Andrew Wiggins. He plays a lot of minutes in the previous season, but doesn't really project to be a guy who was worth that many minutes. So the system normally under projects him a little, and I'll have to go back in and just tick him up a little bit. And then uh, my system does something similarly where it tries to fill in the roster, finding the starters and, and the key role players uh, in each position on the team, uh, and then forcing it to add up to the total number of minutes in the season. So it's pretty similar, um, but just starts in a slightly different place. That makes sense. So... I guess uh, to to back up and go even a little bit higher level, your your discussion of sort of how you're projecting minutes uh, made me realize I haven't really gotten into exactly what the uh, component parts of your projections are. So, you know, Andrew, uh, you I've had you on the podcast before. You can let mm-hmm. me know if your methodology has has changed at all uh, from from last year when we discussed it, but. Uh, so yours is based on your player tracking plus minus metrics, some additional uh, box score stuff, and RAPM, kind of a blend that is a, a plus yep. minus. Um, th- that's sort of the the undergirding player performance metric, right? Right. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, that's it. And I think last year uh, Nick Resto and I agreed to call it Rapum, so I'm going to stick Rap'em. with that. Okay. <laughs> okay. That yeah, that's a, that's a that's a little quicker to say than to. Uh, to say RAPM every single so, time. Uh, yeah. um, I'm down with that. But yeah, that's that, that that's pretty much uh, the basis of it, um, you know. And then there's uh, uh, a number of adjustments made in terms of based on how much they played last year, aging curve, um, and if they change teams. It's kind of a simple um, additional regression to the mean. I've been doing a lot of uh, things with the synergy uh, play types. And, you know, the real common thread is that, that um, guys who play, who uh, change teams, that that it, what they did last year is not a great uh, predictor in terms of, like, how many ISOs they're going to do, how many pick and rolls they're going to do, uh, get in transitions. I mean, it's uh, still pretty decent, but, you know, uh, changing teams really um, has an effect on, on what they were doing, so... Yeah, so if they stay on the same team, they're much more likely to have a, a similar sort of play type profile. But if they are yep. moving teams, then you're more likely to see a change. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, even going back to what we were discussing with Carmelo, uh, you know, you'd anticipate he's going to have less ISO opportunities, uh, if only because he's now playing with two stars, whereas before he right. was uh, basically offensively the star. I mean, Chris Dapps is is good, but not, not on the same level. I don't think in terms of his ability yeah. to create shots. And, and even, even for uh, Westbrook, um, he was, when I looked at guys who, who stayed on the same team in terms of ISOs, he was the outlier um, from year to year. And, and that's really, of course, because what wasn't, wasn't in there's the fact that Durant had left. So yeah, um, he basically picked up all, all of those ISOs that, uh, that Durant had been running. Yeah, is that a is that a, a 
possible future update is to to not just mean regress for things uh uh that or guys that are leaving teams but maybe if uh, if a uh important teammate leaves <laughs> then maybe that you uh yeah mean regress the guys that are remaining on the team um I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely an, uh, uh, something of, of of interest, but I haven't gotten uh, far enough down the line to yeah. I guess do mean, anything with confidence. I guess mean regression wouldn't have helped with Westbrook because he he went away from the mean, right? He he like <laughs> yes boosted his I- isolation plays. Um, so that yeah, it, that's interesting, Jacob. So is your is your metric that your or, or your sort of undergirding player performance uh, projection system is that also plus minus based? It is, yeah. So the metric I use is one I created. It's called player impact plus minus. Um, and it, I think of it sort of as a box plus minus if they also accounted for a player's on-off numbers. So how much better the team is per 100 possessions when they're on versus off the court. Um, and I, I, so the way I project forward with that is I similarly to games and minutes, I find the most similar guys, see how their field goal attempts, free throw attempts, rebounding, how that changes for them over time. Um, and then also introduce a relatively generic aging curve. Um, and then because I have two variants of player impact plus minus, one which uses the on-off data and one which doesn't, so I project forward the one that doesn't use on-off data, and then I know the difference between the one that does and doesn't for the past few years for a player. So then I just add that back in. Um, and all these projections take place within a vacuum. So when I project Russell Westbrook, I'm just projecting him in a neutral environment. And then all the players get thrown into a, a digital world together where it accounts for if they have a teammate who shoots a lot, they'll probably end up shooting a little less. If there's a lot of good three-point shooters on a team, everyone will shoot a little bit better. Um, so it just tries to account for teammates better to get to a final projected uh, player impact plus minus for the next season. So when you say they get thrown into a digital world, what's, what's the actual sort of like methodology behind that? I mean, I guess you don't have to necessarily get super technical, but like I'm, I'm interested in, in sort of how that digital world operates. Is that just, I don't know, is there any sort of more detail that you, you can get into on that? Sure. Um, so it's every rebound has to come from either a missed free throw or, or missed field goal. Um, it's sort of things like that. It's just making sure that every assist leads to a field goal attempt. Like there's not more assists than field goal attempts on a team for some reason, or, or more turnover or more, uh, steals than, than turnovers. Um, so it's just making, making sure that everything makes sense. Um, from, from a basketball perspective, there's not any extra field goal attempts or extra rebounds out there um is that happening like uh, in a simulation or is it more just like you're looking at okay all these guys um you know i have projected shots for all of these guys and minutes played so i can estimate how many shots and misses they'll be so now i know how many available rebounds there are and so that i can figure out then you know you're just kind of lining it mm-hmm. up or is there is it actually like a sort of are you running simulations to to get 
to those shots. No, it's, shots. it's it's just lining it up. It's just making sure that everything mathematically makes sense. There's there's no extra uh, rebounds or extra uh, assists compared to what's like actually possible um, based off every other number. That makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I just yeah, I I know in the uh, the sort of article that you had laying it out, I you mentioned that the sort of digital environment. I was wanted to poke at that a little bit more because I was curious as to what was involved with that. Um, all right, so that's cool. So we got the we've got the I guess the baseline of you know how you guys your systems are set up and similar. I, Jacob, one one more quick question about your system. So you're basing it. It's basically based on similarity score to project player performance mm-hmm. score. So it sounds pr- pr- kind of similar to the the uh, things like um, 538's Carmelo system and uh, uh, Kevin Pelton's uh, Shaney system. Is that is that was that be yeah, a fair it's, comparison? It's more along those lines. Um, I, I one of one of the outputs of the model is actually pretty similar to just the, what you see with Carmelo. So I, I have the similar, what's the next five years going to look like for this guy. That's cool. Um, I guess. So if you're, uh, do you have any, um, uh, while we're on that, do you have any projected sort of, uh, surprise candidates for big improvements this year? Um, let me see. <clears throat> I think one of the ones I, I'm relatively high on compared to, to traditional thinking is uh, Tobias Harris. Um, you I just, I you think, and uh, you and Zach Lowe both. Oh, huh, that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, but no, I just, I think he's going to be the best player on a borderline uh, fringe playoff team. He's gonna get as many shots as he wants now that now that Morris is there. He gets to play more in his natural power forward position. I just think he he's really set up to have a really good year. Yeah, so that's that's one to keep an eye on. I, I I'm not sure if uh, if Zach is still on the uh, Tobias Harris uh, train. To be honest, it's been a <laughs> while since I've heard him talk about Tobias Harris, but I remember him being somebody that. Uh, he he would talk about as being kind of an intriguing guy and somebody that he was he he liked uh, as a sort of um, a player with potential. Uh, so you know I I don't know that he's written about him recently or said anything about him recently. But that was whenever I think of Tobias Harris, I always remember Zach Lowe at one point liked him. So I have to keep, <laughs> make sure I keep an eye on him. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's that's a uh, very very interesting stuff. Do you? Um, I'm just going out back through some of the uh, some of the projections that you guys have. So Andrew, you have the Warriors projected to win 69 games. It looks like. Um, so usually, yep. um, you know these these player projection systems are tend to be pretty conservative. They they want to regress towards you know average a lot. Uh, the Warriors are obviously. Uh, possibly the greatest team of all time we might be you know approaching that uh i don't think it's controversial to really say that they're right. not they're like one of the top couple um so is 
is that sort of what uh, what drives that, or is it the continuity? Is that part of it? Yeah, it, it, a, a little bit. I mean, um, I'm sure I didn't uh, project a lot of uh, minutes for you know Nick Young <laughs> or some of those guys, but um, it's. Uh, I think it's the same I had last year, and uh, or maybe actually it might actually be a game lower than what I had last year. I mean, they're just um, the point I made at that time. You know, and I don't know if it's quite as true today since he's a year older, but you know, Iguodala was was better than who was like the fifth best player on the team, and he was better than like fourteen <laughs> different teams' best player. It's so unfair. So <laughs> you know. So it's 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 just um, yeah, there's just so much talent there, um, and they have a track record of of producing at, that at a high level. You know, year after year, it wasn't just one outlier year. So, um, so it really didn't pick up a lot a lot of that makes regression. Sense. And, so. Uh, so, Jacob, your your system is a little bit more conservative on the Warriors. You have them at at 64 wins. Is that uh, just projecting some decline in some of their their guys that are that are aging, or um, or just the normal mean regression that you see in these kind of projection models. Yeah, I think that's mostly just mean regression. It has them as, as yeah by far. Yeah, the you best guys have that in common. So um, <laughs> passes the smell so test. I, I, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just I just think my system. It's really hard. Um, to project that many wins in my system. I think last year before the year I had them at like 66 or 67. Um, so a little bit, a uh, little bit lower. They're a little bit older, but still by far the best team. Um, and, and the most dominant team we've seen yeah, in a that, long time. Uh, that is absolutely true. They are, uh, they have become, uh, my, my basketball watching nemesis just because I, I get, I get bored of watching 20 point victories <laughs> all the time, but I guess you have to appreciate what they've uh, put together, but I, I get tired of it sometimes, but that's just, that's me just being bitter. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they're obviously fun to watch in, in a lot of ways. And I think in, in playoff time, like when they're actually uh, forced to compete with teams that are not really on their level, but at least closer, um, you know, I, th- I think that uh, they do bring out a lot of like very, very high level basketball, which is nice. It's just getting there is. Yeah. Go ahead. So there's this this there's this thing where they're you know down by twelve points in in you know, the third quarter, and you just don't feel at all like that's a that's a thing. Like it doesn't feel at all like they're they have any chance to lose that that game, even if they're down twelve you know uh, twelve points at the end of the third quarter. Just eh, that. How are how are they going to come back? Yeah, it's this it's time, you know? pretty. Yep. Uh, you know, it never feels like they're they're actually in trouble. <laughs> you know, like uh, it feels like you right. really like uh, to use a boxing analogy. It feels like you really have to like put them on the canvas and, and knock them out cold <laughs> for to like to get up by like I don't know thirty five against them to feel like okay I'm safe. And even then, like if there's enough time left in the game, it's like. Uh, you still don't feel very very secure in it. Um, 
But yeah, they're oh, right. they're insane. Uh, but they're not that interesting to talk about. I just the, that sixty nine really uh, uh, jumped out to me for the that projected wins, just because normally these things are pretty conservative. But even the the sort of betting line for them was very high. Uh, I think Andrew, you posted it in the in your article. I think Pinnacle had them at uh, sixty seven and a half wins for their over under. So uh, very yep. very high. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, right, that's right in between where you guys were at. So that, again, passes a smell test. It's a good sanity check. Uh, so another team that I think is of interest to a lot of people, uh, especially because they've, like a lot of teams this offseason, undergone some pretty big changes, namely losing their best player, um, is the Clippers. Um, so, Andrew, you mm-hmm. have them projected at, like, 53 and a half, 54 wins. Uh and um, yep, Jacob, you have them at forty six, forty seven wins. Uh, so you know, obviously, uh, player tracking plus minus seems to be a little bit higher on uh, on the or, or something within those projection systems. Uh, there, there's a difference there. Um, but both of those, I think, are, are maybe a little bit higher than uh, than some people might anticipate, and even uh, Vegas has them. That that pinnacle line is forty three and a half. So, so what is it about the the Clippers that sort of the conventional wisdom uh, or even like Vegas uh, is maybe missing? Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go first first since I'm you know, the kind of the high one on this, and I don't know how much. I believe this one, but, um, you know, one of the interesting things is how highly I'm rating DeAndre Jordan, which I think is especially on offense, which I think is, um, you know, probably the big vulnerability there without, uh, getting fed from, uh, Chris Paul, uh, you know, as, as a role man and as a, as a finisher, is, is he actually going to be able to, you know, have those opportunities. He's obviously not, you know, creating space or anything. He's setting scene, uh, screens and getting offensive rebounds. But, you know, is he going to have that, that somebody to set him up um, in the same way? So uh, that's, you know, one of, one of the pieces of it. But really all the guys they got uh, back from Houston project as, as quality guys. They have them a little bit lower um, than they were in Houston. But... Um, they actually got some, you know, Patrick Beverly is is a really good defensive point guard and, and you know, holds his own on offense. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he operates uh, there. But um, so, you know, those, those are the pieces that kind of kind of went into it for me. And and anytime you get that many guys changing, it'll be interesting to see how it works out and. Does Doc ever uh, get into staggering um, the line and up so you have, say, uh, asking a Gallo, lot. Um, you know, to have either one of Gallo or Blake uh, in there to kind of be a playmaker at all times. But, um, you know, uh, we'll see. So, so that that's kind of what went into mine. And like I said, I wouldn't um, – I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't bet the, the 53, but uh, – I would def I would go over on the forty three and a half. I think. Yeah, I, I would. I'm I'm similarly minded here. I think what people are forgetting is that this is probably the deepest team the Clippers have had under Doc Rivers. Um, yeah. Everyone they got back really in that Chris Paul trade 
is a good player. Um, Sam Decker is a, a solid rotation player. Montrezl Harrell is, is a solid rotation player. Lou Williams is a really good six man. Patrick Beverly is is a very good uh, role player, six man, and, and probably a good, decent enough starter too. Um, and they added Milos Teodosic, who was one of the best passers in Europe. Um, and they got rid of Jamal Crawford, who who traditionally is one of the worst rated plus minus players in the league. Um, so I, I just think people see, oh, well, you lost Chris Paul. Uh, how are you ever going to replace that without really thinking about everyone they got back is a, is a competent player. They have a lot of depth. They might not have the same big three, but they're still a, they're still a really good team. Right. They're more yeah, of a I, team I, now than ever before, if anything. Yeah, I, I agree with everything uh, Jacob just, uh, just said there. And, and I think this is another one that, you know, in the regular season, because they added that depth, um, I think it will hold up well in the playoffs. Uh, um, that's that's a that's another matter, but um, you know, at, at this point we're just trying to yeah. project. I, I think the, you know season, the, so. the other piece for the Clippers, obviously, that'll be important. Maybe a little bit less so now because of the the additional depth that they have. But I think health will still be important for them, um, especially for uh, Blake. Uh, DeAndre doesn't knock on wood. Uh, if I had wood near me, but DeAndre does not get hurt very often, but Blake does. Um, so that, you know, I think if they're healthy, they're still very good. Like, I think a, a useful way to think about it, too, sometimes is like we talked like uh, everybody that like kind of paid attention to the NBA talked about how um, maybe not this year's Celtics. They actually seem to have some star power with uh, Isaiah Thomas playing the way that he did. But, um, you know, they, they were kind of like a, a team that was like full of good players, didn't really have very much in the way of bad players. Um, you know, and granted they're playing in the weaker Eastern Conference and that's worth a couple of wins, but you know, they, they broke 50 wins, um, and with, with a team really <laughs> without anybody as good as Blake Griffin, uh, can be, or, you know, is, is impactful defensively as, uh, DeAndre Jordan. And so, you know, I think that the top end talent for the Clippers is probably, uh, better than, than that Celtics team. And they're you know you have to debit them a few wins because they're playing in the west but um you know i think it starts to make a little bit more sense uh if if you think about it from that perspective because they are a lot deeper than than they've ever been and so they've traded the the top heaviness that they always had for some uh for the deepest team that they've had um you know like you guys both mentioned i think uh, the they're weaker now for the playoffs but it'll be uh, over the course of an 82-game season, I you know, people are going to probably be surprised that they're able to weather the the CP3 uh, is missing storm as well as they're they're going to be. I they're I would be very surprised if they didn't make the playoffs unless Blake is hurt. Um, so uh, yeah. speaking of the playoffs, um, you guys have uh, differing top eights at the at the bottom for the West, and we're mostly talking about the Western Conference because. You know, apologies to Andrews Celtics, but who cares about the who cares about the East? <laughs> um, but so I think so, Andrew, you have Utah making it in uh, to that last spot, and uh, Jacob, you have Portland. Um, 
but in, in both cases, you have, uh, you know, basically ten, it's a ten, there's 10 playoff quality teams, basically, and uh, whoever gets – there's going to be two teams that are basically as, a, as good as the eighth seed uh, that are going to be shut out in the Western Conference because we refuse to have uh, top 16 seeding in the NBA for some reason. Um, do you, how do you guys view that in terms of like, do you feel like it's mostly a coin flip in terms of determining, you know, the, the margins on, on those things or, or Andrew, do you feel, you know, strongly that Utah is actually going to make that or, uh, you know, Jacob, you have Portland about two wins better than, than, uh, than, than, you know, uh, New Orleans, which is their next closest competitor in your projections. Like how, how do you guys think about that? Um, I guess uh, Jacob, you can start, and then Andrew, you can go. Sorry, bad job of me by uh, being a host. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, I don't really feel that strongly between all of them. But over the course of the summer, as I was <laughs> updating the projection system with various signings, all of them were the eighth seed at varying points, and I could probably pretty easily just change the way minutes are distributed on each team and end up with a different team in the eighth seed. So I think it'll really come down to just drawing straws and one of them will make it, uh, whichever one's the healthiest, probably. Um, I think Portland, my model sees as as the most likely just because they have two all-star level players in McCollum and um, Lillard. And then the upside of is Nurkic actually the guy we saw at the end of last year, or, or is he more um, what we had in, in Denver? Um, so I think it's just trying to balance all those things. It, it sees Portland as the most likely to have their stars being healthy, making a difference throughout the entire year. But it, it, it's very up in the air, and I wouldn't be shocked uh, by any of yeah. them. Uh, yeah, one of the things I included in in uh, the thing I did on uh, Nylon um, was uh, the playoff odds, which was based on a you know, relatively simple simulation where I took my uh, projected wins and you know, kind of the air rate that I've had over the last three seasons um, to get a standard deviation and um, just do a, a um, simulation of how many times uh were they in the top eight how many times not and so for um utah based on this projection i had them in the playoffs 54 percent of the time new orleans 45 percent and portland 44 you know so obviously those add up to more than um once because you know some of those projections uh, one of those teams uh, slipped into the six or the seven spot, you know, so it, it's the margin of error is, you know, wide enough that, um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be actually exciting and interesting uh, race on that, but particularly uh, when you look at New Orleans where it's um, kind of high stakes for them uh, this year um, with uh, Boogie Cousins being a free agent and uh, the clock starting to tick on Anthony Davis. So, um so yeah, I, I think it's more or less a coin flip for for all three of those teams, and um, you know, and Denver has um, better odds, but 
you know, it yeah, also would just have me if, if they fell out of the Denver, playoffs. Denver, in one out of every three simulations, Denver falls out of the playoffs for you. So, um, you know, that's uh, pretty good odds that they'll make it. But that's where the rest, uh, you know, that and a few other places is where the difference between that uh, 100% playoff odds for those bottom three teams comes from because they're leeching some of the odds from, from there. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it makes total sense. I, I think that it, that people latch on sometimes with these projections to you know the order and um, there are there are always error bars around this stuff. Uh, you know, and the other thing is is that you can't predict is you know uh, midseason trades, uh, injuries, all those sorts of things that that are going to disrupt um, those kinds of. Uh, uh, projections you know new orleans is probably incented a little bit more to go all in this year if they if there's a move for them to make because they are worried about demarcus cousins possibly leaving um so maybe they have a little bit more of a sense of urgency than some of their uh competitors i don't know that to be the case but you know that's just a for example um now moving up right. go ahead i mean it, I- I even have it. I think I noted this that I have six tenths of a percent of a chance that Sacramento. Well, clear, makes the clearly. Playoffs. So I was gonna say clearly uh, three you're out of five hundred. Three out of five. Clearly, your model is wrong. Uh, the, Sac- the Kings have no. <laughs> the Kings have no chance. Yes. <laughs> I think. I think if Vince Carter finds a time machine, yeah. then that's really. I mean, the I best, guess that's. I guess that's uh, three and five hundred chances that, that Vince Carter. That maybe maybe yes. in point uh, six percent of of the infinite timelines that exist uh, in the multiverse, uh, Vince Carter finds a, a a time machine. Maybe that's a thing. <laughs> Something like uh, that. So to move to you know I, I kind of poo pooed it a second ago but you know there there are probably going to be some fans uh, that are listening to this that are that are fans of the Eastern Conference and you know for that I'm sorry but uh, we'll discuss them a little bit here now too um, so both of you don't have uh, my former team the Chicago Bulls as the worst team in the Eastern Conference uh, and th- that is something that I think that uh, their actual fans unlike me who's given them up uh, their actual fans I think will be mad online about uh why are they not the, why are the bulls not the worst team uh, in the in the east and uh, and also in the entire league um well they they have my model sees them as having like four decent ish nba players they have miritich Curses. who is a, a good starter robin lopez who's probably more more a backup at this point, um, but is a, is a good player. Um, Justin Holiday, who was one of the most annoying signings of the summer, just because I hoped he'd go from the <laughs> Knicks to a good team, but afraid not. Um, and then Felicio and Dunn, between the two of them, there's probably an How NBA dare you? player. Cristiano Felicio um, is an NBA player. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, like an above well, I'm, average. I'm, one my money is on Cristiano. I think Chris Dunn is terrible, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not good. Um, yeah, they they have enough good players that they're going to put out some lineups that aren't completely terrible. I think one thing my model might be missing on is is their lack of point guard depth a bit, and how that might hurt them more than. 
I'm able to model. Um, but yeah, they 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 kind of have some players. There's there you can find uh, a few good lineups that are yeah. maybe possible. Getting back to getting back to our discussion of in, right. incentives, I think that if uh, if uh, Miritich is playing too well, they they may just bench him <laughs> because <laughs> right. Or they could they could play him out of position at the three or something like that. Yeah, which, for, which for some reason, anyway, so. uh, <laughs> uh, it's not for some reason. But Th- Thibodeau liked to play him at small forward just to get him on the court. But when we had, uh, I still say we, Jesus. Uh, I when when they had uh, you know a bunch of big men um, that. Uh, and, and not very many wings, they would throw uh, Miritich on the floor with the, the bigs, and it would be a, a spacing uh, disaster, But um, and his numbers would, would suffer. So, yeah, that, that's an option. Just put him out there with, uh, you know, with uh, Robin <laughs> Lopez and Big Chris, and, you know, it'll, it'll, that'll tank things really quick. Well, and the other thing is I, I, I thought that Cameron Payne was out for the year, or I, maybe I, I misread his injury report. So if I put him in for 1,100 minutes, that's probably, you know, worth a couple losses. Point guard of the future, baby. Yeah, traded, uh, traded most of the package to Carmelo <laughs> for Cameron Payne. Garpax, baby. Great great GM. Great jamming. <laughs> the... Uh, it goes back to so, yeah. uh, my my favorite tweet that I ever did. You know, I'm referencing my own tweets. I'm that vain. Is that uh, Garpax thinks Phi Stratego <laughs> moves ahead? <laughs> um, so a couple of other things I wanted yeah. to touch so, on uh, really quickly is uh, so um, you know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are listening probably for uh, gambling reasons I'd imagine or that read uh, this kind of stuff are interested in over unders. Uh, Andrew, you had a uh, probability density plot for over-unders for uh, the Pacers and the Celtics. Uh, and uh, I guess you can just right. get into um, sort of what that uh, would advise uh, some of the de- degenerate gamblers out there. Uh well, you know, were were that legal? And well, I guess if they're they're listening outside, or if they're the in US, Vegas, so they, they could go, go to ahead Vegas. And do what they want, but um, yeah, Vegas, true, Vegas, <laughs> not really part of the U.S., right? Um, so yeah, yeah, that that was uh similar to the playoffs. Um, you know, just simple density plot, uh, something normal distribution, which is more or less what the errors uh have seemed to be the last uh, two years, and so. Plotted, you know, using that, uh, the errors that I've had in the past, what is their win total look like based on, um, their projection. And then I put on a line, um, of where the Vegas odds are so you can kind of visually see everything on this, uh, right side is, uh, where they hit the over and everything on the other side is, is, is where they hit the under. Um, so just kind of, you know, instead of people giving odds or air bars, just visualize what what does that uh, kind of look like, and so you can see the area on. Yeah, the the Celtics could hit the over. I'm not not saying they could, but it's definitely not the most likely occurrence based on. on yeah, so, model, I, so I think um, that the Celtics are another one that uh, maybe 
uh, people would be surprised by some of the given their the activity they had on their off season. Um, you both have them projected for basically 49 wins. Uh, Jacob, you have them as the third best team in the East, which I'm sure would rile some uh, Bostonians. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, Andrew, uh, you have them as the second best team in the East, uh, with uh, behind Cleveland, um, and uh, you know two slots ahead of Toronto uh, and ahead of Washington and uh, Charlotte. It looks like. Um, so why did does the Cel- is what is it about the Celtics offseason that that has them sort of uh, not looking much better uh, than than they did? Uh, and I guess this time we'll start with Jacob. Um. Well, they traded away Jay Crowder, uh, which which. My projection system, as, as most don't like, Jay Crowder consistently rates as one of the higher impact players in the league. Um, so when they traded uh, for Irving, the the IT Irving swap uh, was was a wash, pretty much in my in my model. But having to include Jay Crowder uh, really turned it into a loss, at least for this upcoming season. I, I think it's a good deal for the future. But for, for this upcoming season, I think it hurts him a little bit. And I think another thing that people need to consider is that the Celtics, although they won, what was it, 53 games last year, um, that their expected win total based off uh, margin of victory was more around 47, 48 wins. So they already overperformed last season. So combining regression with trading away one of their large impact players. Um, I think they'll be better than last year, just just not as much as people would expect for a team that's So, Jacob, you're telling me you don't believe in the magical powers of um, Brad Stevens to keep them above their expect, expected win totals? <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> um, so, so, Andrew, what is, is your uh, sort of the the – drivers there is that similar for you in terms of uh yeah definitely uh similar um to to what jacob said the other thing is you know there there's just a number of depth pieces that they lost um like uh kelly olenic um who kind of rates is about an average player in my system and you know for the most part uh those guys are being uh replaced by um a lot of rookies. They're going to have five rookies on the team, which, you know, for a playoff team is very unusual to try and be uh, working five, five rookies in, and then, uh, you know, second year guy in, in Jalen Brown. So it's actually, you know, pretty young team to be sitting uh, second or third in, in the East. So, um, and uh, Amir Johnson was another, even though he he's declining um, and his minutes were, were declining, but, uh, he still tends to have a positive impact, and, and he was sort of replaced by Aaron Baines, who's again, who's a, who's a decent player, good, decent role player, but a little bit less um, impactful. At least was uh, when he was and, in Detroit. Uh, so you're uh, touching on the, the Celtics' youth and the the number of rookies that they they have on the team. Do, do, uh, I, I guess that, that prompts my interest. Uh, how are you guys handling rookies in, in your systems? I know, uh, I think you both have draft models that you'd use, but Andrew, I think yours is designed to 
project more sort of peak career performance. Uh, and Jacob, I think the one that I saw you post about on Twitter maybe gets at uh, gets at rookie performance. But how, how do you guys uh, go about pr- uh, projecting that? Are you using a model, or are you just using expected performance based on draft slot? Some some combination. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I use uh, I I built a separate model from the one that I I normally um, put out uh, for the for the draft that which is just for for rookie performance. And I, I built that for my my projection system, which you know once you as you know once you have all the data there, it's not not that um, much of a stretch. Just kind of uh, change the dependent variable. So so I, so I did that, um, and and that's what I'm using for my. Uh, my my rookie performance and i actually use on um guys who are going in their sophomore year because i only have the one year of nba data i supplement it um with a a sophomore projection um that that i blend into their um actual performance from the, from their rookie year cuz what what i found um previously is that a lot of times on the sophomore years i was missing and and, and maybe even with the the aging curve i had was especially on some of these guys just made the leap their second year some of the higher draft picks so uh for both the for the rookies they're entirely based on my draft model and then on the sophomores it's a blend of the draft model and uh an aged so does, uh, uh, performance from the their sophomore year. model is is it projecting big things from jalen brown or i know your original draft model was kind of dubious on him so what, uh yeah, he's you know uh, the the draft slot comes into it um, quite a bit in, in the um, in the sophomore model. So um, he he ends up you know a minus one point something. So above replacement level, uh, there you go. <laughs> which is yes, above replacement level, kind of a mediocre uh, role player is is really where, nice. where, where I'm at with. It. And uh, Jacob, what's your uh, method for for handling the rookies? Yeah, mine's pretty similar. Uh, I have the a standard draft model, and then one specifically for projecting rookies' uh, performance. And then I also incorporate um, summer league data, so that that's I've found to help uh, the accuracy of the prediction a little. I generally, when when people ask me about rookie projections, I describe them as an educated guess compared mm-hmm. to other players' projections. Um, it's much harder to figure out what's actually going to translate in terms of impact for, for a rookie. Um, so I have uh, similar issues um, uh, uh, with the Celtics uh, as Andrew does just because they're going to they're gonna have so many rookies actually playing and, and actually needing them to play yeah. and, and contribute. That makes, that makes sense. So I have a question for you guys. So I've obviously um, – I don't think my uh, rookie models have had necessarily the same level of sophistication mostly because I still don't totally know what I'm doing with, uh, with R. <laughs> but uh, they um, – <laughs> one of the things that I've noticed when I try to do rookie – projections is that the the things that the model seems to like for rookies tends to be 
there, there tends to be a pretty strong bias towards uh, expecting big guys to be good. Uh, is that something that you guys have found, um, at least on like, on like a relative basis, or is that just uh, I'm I'm doing it wrong? Uh, and I, I found uh, something uh, similar in terms of when I've looked at the aging curve, and I know that um, uh, before he uh, disappeared behind the the Nuggets wall, um, Lane had a similar thing on his where perimeter players, um, when you're doing their aging from rookie uh, forward. At least, well, in terms of box, box score stuff, uh, definitely the the perimeter players uh, take longer to to catch up. On the on-off stuff, especially on the defensive side, um, I think it's maybe a little more dicey. Um, you know, the the because you know the rebounds are going to translate. Um, blocks translate pretty well, so those things that the bigs are known for kind of come come with them um and the guys handling the ball end up having a lot of turnovers and uh offensive fouls and those kind of things um up until they get yeah you know, Jacob, did, you, did you find similar that the big guys uh, there seems to be a in projecting the performance at least that there there is maybe a little bit of a bias towards the the big guys or that big guys tend to project better yeah, I think so. I, I saw you were uh, tweeting about it probably a few days ago, um, but just how big guys, when they come into the league, they get more rebounds still because they're just they're standing near the basket more often. So that's, it's just a more translatable skill because of proximity. So I, I think that's pretty similar um, across the board for big man statistics. Just the bigs always, for most bigs at least, they're normally near the hoop. So they're going to get more rebounds. They're going to get more blocks. They're going to foul more guys. That those things just are more consistent, consistently predictable um, for translation compared to a point guard who, uh, you know, there's been guys who come into the league and start passing way more than they did in college, and there's guys who who come into the league and become much more uh, scorers, scoring guards. So it's just it's harder to translate exactly what a rookie guard or, or more wing player is going to do compared to a big who's just they're yeah, in the right spot that was spot what already. I was getting at in terms of the when I, I had like a little half-baked uh, tweet storm about uh, how we talk about the translatability of different statistics from college to the uh, and other leagues to the NBA and I think the the line has always been you know rebounds in particular all oh, those translate and my thought was maybe it's not so much a matter of translation but it, uh, in terms of as far as at least if you mean translating to mean you know a skill level and it more has to do with proximity uh, mm-hmm. whereas the uh, I think you 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 find guys roles change a lot more. For, uh, on the perimeter than what they do uh, as big men. Um, I think big men are in college are charged with largely similar responsibilities: protect the rim, rebound the ball. Um, you know, uh, you know if you can score, do it. But uh, scoring across all positions doesn't seem to uh, translate all that well. It's you know pretty hit or miss. Um, you have to incorporate a lot of other information to mm-hmm. figure out who's going to be a good scorer. Um, 
so I, I think that, that that was sort of what I was getting at, and it, uh, so that would make sense that those because those things are um, from a box score perspective going to be there from day one probably for those guys, whereas the other guys may have an adjustment curve to okay, how do I get buckets in the NBA? How do I be a creator in the NBA? Um, you know that that you would see a, a, a I don't know if bias is the right word for it, but just a tendency for bigs to to look better in some of these metrics early on in their careers. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Just trying to see if there's anything else to to really hit on. Um, so you both have Philly not making the playoffs. Why don't you trust the process? And how mad have Philly fans been about <laughs> this uh, in your mentions? Uh, I got a lot of I got a lot of uh, tweets <laughs> to me in Spanish, and uh, I I don't speak Spanish, but they appear to be Philly fans um, from uh, Spanish-speaking countries. So I, I, I'm a, my assumption was that they were not happy, so I didn't bother translating <laughs> them over uh, to English. Um, but yeah, so uh, Phillies, uh, you know, they're similar to Boston in, in a way that they're going to be relying on you know, some, some rookies. Um, and even if, uh, you know, Marco Fultz is going to be a, a great player one day, you know, it's, he's probably not going to have a big impact on, on winning his first year, at least, you know, in general, they don't, um, rookie point guards don't, especially one who's very young. Um, one of the reasons he projected well on the models is he was one of the youngest players, but that also means that he's going to have, uh, he could, have uh, more time to to develop, and then the other thing obviously is uh, Joel Embiid. I had him playing sixteen hundred minutes, um, which I actually I know I think probably most Philly fans would probably be relatively happy with. Um, you know, if he gets up to actual starter minutes, um, that would that would push them up uh, a little bit, but. You know, that's really kind of hedge, hedging one's bets um, after three years of being out, you know. <laughs> um, so that that's obviously a big variable, you know, and it's somebody with a, a known injury history um, who we think is going to have yeah, a big I mean, impact on that team. he's played 31 games team. In, in three years. So I, I don't think, you know, 16, saying he's, he's going to play 1,600 minutes is uh, being too conservative. <laughs> uh, Jacob, what, what did you – Jacob, where did you have uh, right, you Embiid know. in terms of minutes played? Uh, do you know, like, roughly? I I have met 1,300 minutes. Um, yeah, it's, he's, he's really good when he plays – I just have zero faith in him actually ever being healthy at this point. Like uh, his, his comments on media day that he would be shocked if he plays, I don't know what he said. I think it was like 75 or 80 games or something like in his career. He said that? If he ever plays that. Um, if I'm, wow. I'm pretty sure he said that. Uh, mm. He said something about, his, yeah. It's just, it's just the comments I've, we've heard about his health from him and the organization are all very stock- He's going. He's doing great in recovery, um, but he, he. What was it? A torn meniscus, uh, I've lost, right? I've lost track, injury. honestly, of all his different uh, injuries. I don't say that to like joke. I, I literally like. I, I just don't remember what the latest Joel Embiid yeah. injury is. 
Yeah. It's something that I think it had like a three-month recovery, and now it's been six months, and he's still not cleared to play. And right. I, I noticed the other day that Tony Parker t- completely tore his quad in these playoffs and is already cleared to come back and do full basketball activities. And, and Embiid tore his meniscus and is well past twice the, the expected recovery time. So I, I don't know if there's being incredibly conservative with him, but the fact that the medical staff hasn't even cleared him yet, it's, it's, it's alarming. Uh, Embiid, you wish nothing but the best for him. He's really good at basketball. But can he actually ever stay on the court is yeah. it's a real question. It's a, it's a real bummer because he yeah. is not only really good, but he's just like a very fun player to watch. Like there's guys with his build shouldn't be able to move the way that he does. And, and maybe that's maybe that's the problem, right, is that he's – uh, there's there's a reason that you're not supposed to be able to be that size and and move with the the kind of fluidity and grace and speed that he is able to and burst really uh, to to do all of those things. Maybe the you know a frame that big just can't can't handle it. That would be a shame. I, I would feel robbed, but it wouldn't be the first time that um, we've been robbed of a sort of incredibly special talent. Uh, you know, in, in basketball history. So hopefully that's not the case. Kind of a bummer to end mm-hmm. on, but, uh, but uh, get well soon, Joel. <laughs> yeah, hopefully just... you'll uh, play, you know, 2,500 minutes and, and make us all sound like fools. Uh, and the Philly will be like a five seed or something. Um, but, uh, I <laughs> right. want to thank you guys for, for coming on. I appreciate it. I know you guys put in a lot of hard work on those, uh, getting those projections yeah. turned out. So, Thank you. Um, and uh, you know, I appreciate you coming, uh, talking to me, and uh, telling me how how the sausage is made. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us. All right. Yeah. Um, thanks. It's great.